The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Good morning, church. How are we? Man, I can't believe this is our final gathering in this room. Uh, five plus years we've been here. The Lord has been very kind to us. But it's time to move. <laughs> it's time to get out of here. So, uh, yeah, today's the last gathering. Uh, as most of you know, uh, we are now Steadfast Church as, as Missy O'Day. And uh, there we go. Look at that. That's pretty fun, huh? Um, Missy O'Day and Big Creek have come together as one new congregation. And uh, Christmas Eve, we will be there. Uh, 5 p.m. for Christmas Eve gathering, Christmas Day, 2 p.m. for uh, Christmas Day worship, and then uh, the, the 1st of January, we will not be meeting, uh, just A, to give our staff a break, and B, we still got to move stuff over and get it all set up, but our goal is January the 8th, uh, first, will be our first gathering of 2023, and 1554 Brevard Road is our new permanent home, so praise God for that, huh? It's great, yeah. But we got some work to do this morning. So if you got your Bibles, uh, and I hope you do, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. If you um, have not been with us for our entire Advent series, uh, let me just sort of catch you up here. Um, <clears throat> we started at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation. We've been working our way backwards through the scriptures, uh, the different sort of movements in the scriptures uh, to get where we're going. So we looked at Revelation on week one of Advent, the consummation of the Christ. Jesus promised to make all things new. That's where we find ourselves in the stories. We're longing for the second advent of Jesus, for him to come and return and make all things new. And so we started there. Uh, week two, we went to the epistles or the letters uh, within the New Testament, the explanation of the Christ, why Jesus came. Last week, Pastor Jimmy helped us look at the book of Acts, and we looked at the proclamation of the Christ, uh, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch proclaiming the gospel through the um, the book of Isaiah to this, um, sorry, the Ethiopian eunuch hearing the gospel proclaimed to him by Philip. Uh, and today we, bring, we, we come to the gospels. Mark chapter two, as we look at the manifestation of the Christ, okay? Now, what do I mean by that? Um, as we step into the gospel accounts, here's what we find. The people of God have been waiting for the promised Messiah for a very long time. And God uh, has been silent for a very long time. In fact, the book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And we have about 400 years of radio silence from the Lord. And so when we get to the gospels, we've got the people of God in heightened anticipation for the coming of this promised Messiah. When will he come? And what will it look like when he comes? And, 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 and they're, they're waiting, they're, they're, they're um, anxious for him to come. And one of the last promises in the book of Malachi that they're holding on to uh, is this poetic phrase about the, this promised one that the son of righteousness would come. It's S-U-N, son. It's uh, poetic, right? It's supposed to be he's like the sun rising and there's healing in his wings. And so they're holding onto this promise that when the Messiah comes, he'll be like a son of righteousness and there will be healing in his ministry, in his wings. Now, three of the four gospel accounts start at the birth of Jesus. There's still 30 years until his ministry begins and that's where the book of Mark picks up. Mark is the action gospel. He uses the word immediately a lot. And uh, he starts with Jesus' ministry. 
And so that's where we're going to look today is the ministry of Jesus. Now, um, the first words that Jesus says in the gospel of Mark are this, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, Jesus is saying the moment that all of history has been waiting for, the moment that the people of God have been waiting for since the beginning is breaking through into the world through the person work of Jesus. The question though, that we need to answer that the people of God were wrestling with and, and maybe we need to wrestle with is how will Jesus prove that he is the promised Messiah? What will it look like for him to manifest his presence as the promised Messiah? And we're gonna see that I think in uh, Luke chapter, sorry, Mark chapter two here. So if you have your Bible open, follow up, follow with me. I'm gonna read the first 12 verses of the gospel of Mark uh, chapter two. It'll also be on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you, but there are some paperback ones uh, under the seats there. You can grab one of those if you wanna look on with me. Mark chapter two, starting in verse one, says this. And when he, that's Jesus, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so grateful for the word that you have given us, this living and active word that is sharper than any two-edged sword and has the ability to pierce between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. And we pray that you would do that work today by your spirit. We are in the presence of your Holy Spirit right now. And so, Lord, as we come before you under the authority of your word and in the presence of your spirit, we ask you to do what only you can do. And that is to minister to us at our greatest place of need, our greatest place of brokenness, our deepest and darkest, most hidden places of our souls, that you would shine light, that you would speak truth, and that you would help us to see the beauty and glory of Jesus with stunning clarity and to cling to him with newfound faith. This is a work that only you can do. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do this in in this place for each one of us, and that you would use my feeble attempt at proclaiming the word uh, to minister to these brothers and sisters. Lord, may we walk out of here with a greater affection for Jesus. And we pray this in your beautiful name, Lord. And everybody said, amen. Now, as I said, Mark opens his gospel account 
uh, with action. And Jesus is very busy at the beginning of Mark chapter one and chapter two. He's teaching with an authority like no one has ever heard before. He's healing with a power that no one has ever seen before. In fact, most of Mark chapter one and two is healing miracles. He's cleansing lepers. He's, um, he's casting out demons. He's healing people, right? And so they're looking at this and they're going, who is this guy? He, he's something special. Maybe he's the Messiah. And there's this popularity that's growing and there's this sort of fervor around the person work of Jesus. And so the text tells us that he goes back home to Capernaum. He's probably a house guest of Peter who lived in Capernaum. And as soon as he returns, the crowd swells, right? I mean, people are getting text alerts. Jesus is back, you know? And so they flock to his house and, uh, and they're crowding him and he's, he's, gonna, he's gonna minister to them there. Now it's a small house. Uh, first century houses were, you know, maybe 800 square feet, probably smaller uh, rectangles, kind of one big open room, flat roofs. We'll get to that in a minute. And, uh, and so you could maybe fit 40 or 50 people in there. And the text tells us that the, they were gathered together so that there was no more room. They're crowded in there. It's like um, sunny point at the peak of tourist season. You know what I'm saying? Little bitty building, a lot of people. You can't, it doesn't work. You know, they're all crowded out there. And these people, these are, these are weak all these people gathered, the weak, the wounded, the sick, the sore, the, the needy, the poor, the curious. They are all seeking Jesus. They are, they are reaching for the king, if you will. That's my first point if you're a note taker, reaching for the king. All these people clamoring to get to Jesus. Now, here is the wisest most powerful, most gracious, most loving person who has ever lived on the face of the planet. And here are all these people gathered to him. And what is he going to do for them? What is the one thing that he can give them? Look at verse two. They were all gathered together. There was no more room, not even at the door. And he was what? Preaching the word to them. He's preaching. Why this emphasis on preaching the word? Because the only words that can untangle all the knots that are in our souls, the only words that can give us meaning and purpose for our lives, the only words that can bring peace between us and God and peace within our own souls, the only words that can impart eternal life to us are the words of Christ. And that's why here at Steadfast Church, we are word-centered. Our liturgy is based on the word. Our, the central focus of our time together is the proclamation of the word. In the benediction, we give you a blessing from the word. We are word-centered because we know that the words of Christ are the only words that matter. The words of, the words of scripture are the only words that can impart this kind of life. And so, that's, that's also why when, we, when I preach, when anyone preaches here, we generally read the text, right? Um, my friend Ray says, when you read the text, that's the sermon. Everything else is commentary, right? And that way, if whoever's up here muffs the punt, right? And we preach a horrible sermon, you still heard the word of God. <laughs> so here are these four men. 
And, uh, and they determine they need to get their friend to Jesus. And they'll stop at basically nothing to get their friend to Jesus. And so they, they gather him up. I don't know if it's a friend or family member. I don't know if they came blocks or miles, but each one grabs a corner of his mat and they're carrying him to come to Jesus. And the crowd is too thick. The, the scripture tells us you can't even get anybody else in the door, right? So they're, they're never going to get in. They're never going to get their friend to Jesus. And so they get creative. <laughs> Those first century houses, as I said, rectangular, had a flat roof. You had uh, you know, basically tree branches that would go across, you know, like um, rafters, and then they would have thatch, and then usually several inches of mud that would be caked on top, and eventually it would bake, and it would become hardened, and it was a nice, sturdy, flat roof that they used for drying clothes, and for cooking, and for all kinds of other things. There was a staircase usually up one side, a really narrow staircase up to the flat roof, and so they're thinking, there's no way in. We can't get across the threshold, so let's make our own. And so they go up on the roof and they're going to make a hole. Now listen, they do what I call a little um, holy remodeling. <laughs> Put yourself in the scene. This is always a good practice. So when you're reading narratives in the scriptures, it's good to sort of picture yourself there. So imagine you're in the room. Here's Jesus. He's teaching. This room is full. It's kind of dark and, 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 and dim, and, but he's, he's sitting. Everyone else is sitting and he's preaching the word to them. And it starts with some thuds up on the roof, right? Like when your kids are upstairs and you're like, it sounds like a herd of elephants and each of them weighs like 70 pounds. I don't understand how it can be so loud. And, and so they're dragging him up onto the roof. Then you hear some like clawing and scratching and digging. And Jesus is doing his best to keep the room, right? And to keep their focus. But you know, dust is starting to fall a little bit. And then clumps of dirt start falling. And Jesus is, as I was saying, you know, and he's continuing to preach the word. All of a sudden, Light starts piercing through these cracks in the ceiling. And you can really see how much dust and debris there is floating around because all this mud and dirt and debris is starting to fall. And then all of a sudden, this house has a skylight. And Jesus is doing his best to keep the room. But I mean, if I'm preaching and there's a skylight all of a sudden, like I've been distracted by some stuff. We've been interrupted, right? My, my favorite, um, I wasn't preaching. My friend Kurt was, but we were at the, we had just started the church. We're in the basement of Grace Baptist Church right down the street. And we're, you know, there's the closets behind us and Kurt's preaching. And these women decide that they need to get into a closet behind Kurt <laughs> with a shopping cart. And not just any shopping cart, the one with the flappy wheel, you know? <clears throat> and so all of a sudden, I can see it coming. He's preaching and here they come down the aisle. Da-dun, 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 da-dun. And then back to the closet and start loading stuff into this, you know, just in the middle of our church service. One time I was preaching and uh, there was this little girl near the front row and she had a stuffed horse and I got to this really poignant moment and it was quiet and all of a sudden you hear, nay. <laughs> and then they're freaked out, right? The parents are like, and they, and they squeeze it and it makes it nay more. And this thing's just going on and on. Some of you have been here when my stupid Apple watch will, will go off and say, I don't quite understand, you know, and it's an interruption. I have never been interrupted by the Cirque du Soleil kind of moment some trapeze artists coming down through the ceiling. So here's this skylight, and all of a sudden, an actual full-grown human person coming down through, lowered on ropes like Mission Impossible style, onto the ground. You can't, you can't just keep talking. <laughs> you, like, he's got the attention of the whole room. You can't just keep preaching. What is happening there? Faith is happening. 
In fact, we'll get to this in a second, but verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith. Their faith is non-ignorable. They will stop at nothing to get their friend in to see Jesus. And so as they lower him down, he sees their faith. They are determined not only to hear Jesus, but to have his attention. And he loves it. You don't see any indication in the text that Jesus is annoyed by this. He doesn't see the man and go, excuse me, right? Peter, who probably owns the house, doesn't seem peeved that they did some holy remodeling to his home. And that's how we come, by faith, intending to get to Jesus, determined to get to Jesus, to, to find him, to grasp a hold of him. And here's the good news. He's here. He's right here. And here at Steadfast Church, we love that kind of faith. And that's the kind of faith that we want for ourselves and for you all. And here's how I see it happen. It was happening even after the nine o'clock service. Um, I, will, I will preach and, and we'll dismiss and whatever. And then I'll see little groups of people gathered up. And you have a need and we can pray. And people just circle up and they start praying. Why wait? Why delay? You have a need? I know how to pray. Let's lower you down by faith into the presence of Jesus by our prayers. Sometimes... Um, I'll be in the back of the room and I'm just looking out at, at all of you, right? Worshiping during the musical time. And I will see people who have hands raised and I know that they are in a impossible situation, that they are struggling, whether it's um, illness, whether it's family dynamic, whether it's financial. And I see the, bro I know the brokenness of their lives and I see them with hands raised, worshiping Jesus, their King. That is faith. That's the kind of faith demonstrated by these four men on behalf of their friend. Now, listen, maybe you're here today and you can't seem to get to Jesus. You can't see him. You don't feel his presence. Maybe, maybe you need us to pray for you. Maybe you need us to lower you down into the presence, the powerful presence of Jesus, our King, through our prayers. Maybe you feel guilty and overwhelmed just by who you are and what you've done. And, and you feel like, not only can I not get across the threshold into the room, but Jesus wouldn't even want me there. Maybe you feel nothing. Maybe, maybe you're spiritually paralyzed. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. He's just on the other side of that threshold. And if you can't get in, maybe we need to cut a hole for you and get you to him. Let's get to him together. Let's get to Jesus together. Amen? If, like, find, find a friend. Grab somebody and say, hey, could you pray for me? Because I'm just not feeling it. I don't see it. I need you by your prayers to lower me into the powerful presence of Jesus. And we will do that for one another. So we are, we are reaching for our king. But secondly, you guys with me so far? What's that? <laughs> Three people are with me. The rest of you are very bored right now. Look at verse five. I want you to, I want you to notice receiving from the king. 
Okay, so here these men have brought their paralyzed friend and they're gonna receive something from the king. Look at verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytics, that's important. He saw their faith and he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, when some of the scribes were, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Receiving from the king. Um, so as I said, these men did some faith-filled remodeling and um, everyone knows what they're after. Here's this man, the paralyzed man, who probably everybody in the community knew of. We see that in other passages where there are uh, folks with, with um, disabilities and things who are uh, beggars, right? They're at the town gate and everybody knows who they are. So this guy's probably known. These four men, they're, they're, you know, he's down here. Their four heads are looking down like what's gonna happen next and everybody knows what they're after. Everybody knows what they want. And the text says, Jesus saw their faith and then he says to the man, you're healed? Your sins are forgiven. <laughs> okay, so if I'm the man on the mat, I look at Jesus and I go, uh, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. Not exactly why I came, right? I don't, I don't know if you noticed, Jesus, but I have a bigger problem here. I got something greater going on, a more pressing need in my life than forgiveness. And Jesus, with all the tenderness that he has within him, looks at this man and says, no, you don't. No, you don't. So you and I generally think that our greatest needs are physical or financial or societal or emotional, material in other words, right? And that's mainly because our real gods are comfort and peace. That's why a lot of Americans go to church to appease God so that he'll give them comfort and peace. And as long as God gives me comfort and peace, we're good. But see, Jesus knows that our deepest need is not material, it's spiritual. It's not the healing of our bodies or even our circumstances, it's the healing of our broken souls. And the religious people knew that too. In fact, um, the people who knew the Bible best are the scribes. They're the religious elite. They're sort of the seminary professors of the day, right? And they knew the Bible backwards and forwards. They knew it better than anybody. And that's why Jesus' words are so controversial to them. Did you see that? Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven. And what do they do? In their hearts, not out loud, because they're good church people. In their hearts. They say, well, that's blasphemy. He can't do that. He can't forgive sin. Only God can forgive sins. And you know what? They're right. You know how I know? You rack up 25K in Capital One credit card debt. And then I'll get on the horn to him. I'll call him up and I'll say, hey, 
I talk to this person and I forgive them. What's Capital One going to say? Pay up, sucker. <laughs> right? They don't care if I forgave them. I don't have the authority to forgive them. Let's say I'd use this in the first service. I'll use it again. Let's say Larry really peeves me, okay? <laughs> Pastor Larry, he just gets on my last nerve. Which you all know he would never do. He's the like, most gentle man that's ever walked on the face of the earth except for Jesus. And so let's just say, though, that Larry gets on my nerve and I just, I had enough and I just smack him across the face. And then Hannah walks in and Hannah goes, Brian, I forgive you. What's Larry going to say? Excuse me? <laughs> right? Why? Because the only person who can forgive you is the one to whom you are indebted. That's how it works. We all know that. This is basic relationship, right? We know this. So how is it that Jesus can look at this man and pronounce that his sins are forgiven? Because long before he ever looked at this man and said, your sins are forgiven, he said within himself, I will bear his sins. I will bear his sins. the whole reason Jesus came. That's what Mark read to us in those words of assurance from Matthew chapter one. His name shall be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came. But the religious folks refused to believe it. That's what John tells us at the opening of John, uh, John one, his gospel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. They rejected him. Because the, the experts in the Bible often use the Bible as a way to avoid God. And, and Jesus even calls them out for that. In John 5, he says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you might find life, but you, were, you miss me, you avoid me. In other words, he's saying the whole Bible's about me, guys. It's the big E on the I chart and you're missing it. They jumped to blasphemy. Did you see that? They have already determined in their hearts, and in their minds, Jesus cannot be God. So when they hear your sins are forgiven, they go, okay, your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus is not God. So therefore he must be blasphemy. There is no category in their hearts or minds for Jesus said he forgives sins. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus might be God. No category. And so Jesus calls them out publicly for their thoughts. <laughs> That's scary. Like imagine you're walking around with Jesus and he's like, hey, what are you thinking about? <laughs> and you're like, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Like, I'm just going to repeat that in my mind. <laughs> and he says to them, which is easier? Which I love that he says that because for them, both of these are impossible. Which is easier, to forgive this man of his sins or to heal him? Trick question, right? The, the, the religious people are like, uh, we can't do either of those. Which is easier? Now, think about this. Step back for a second. Which is easier, to say you're forgiven or to heal? Well, on the one hand, it seems easier to say you're forgiven. And we've all forgiven people of things they've done to us, right? So we, we have practice with that. But, you know, you would never really know. You could say you're forgiven and no one can really quantify that or check to see if it's valid, right? You can say your sins are forgiven and maybe they aren't, but who knows? On the other hand, if you say I heal you and then they don't get up, 
it's over, <laughs> right? Like you're busted, okay? So on the one hand, it seems easier to say your sins are forgiven. But on the other hand, forgiveness is far more difficult because Jesus will, we'll, just, we'll see this in a second. He will heal with a word, get up. He will heal with the word, but forgiveness is gonna require blood. The entire Old Testament sacrificial system was built around substitutionary sacrifices for sin. So you would come knowing you had sin, you would offer a bull, a lamb, a goat, pigeon, like whatever you had to offer, you would sacrifice those that animal, spotless, unblemished animal, according to the law, sacrifice it, and the blood of that animal would be your atoning sacrifice for a period of time. So uh, when we get to the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews explains this and says, um, essentially that in every sacrifice is a reminder of sin because you know it only lasts a particular amount of time. So you'd come and offer your sacrifice. They would sacrifice it. You're atoned for now, but you got to come back next year and offer another one. Okay, in fact, <clears throat> let me just turn to Hebrews 10. I'll read a few things for you here. In these sacrifices, Hebrews 10, 3, there is a reminder of sins every year because you know you got to come right back to the next spot the next year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins permanently. And then he goes on to say in, in verse 11 of chapter 10, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So the idea is there's never a chair in the temple because the work of sacrifice is never done. So the priest has to just stand there every day for 365 days a year, offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. And then at the end of the year, he's got to start over again and person A who came on day one has to come back on day one of the next year and offer another sacrifice and it just repeats itself. But then he says this, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the father. You know why he sat down? What did he cry from the cross? It is finished. So he sat down. The work is done, paid in full, forever. To those who would receive the finished work of Jesus with the empty hands of faith. Some of you in this room have never truly experienced forgiveness of your sins. You have come to Jesus for a lot of other things for healing of a relationship, for financial woes. We've all been at that place where, Lord, if you just let me make an A on this test, I swear I will give my life, right? Like we've all made those agreements, okay? But some of you have never experienced what it feels like to be forgiven. I remember I was 15 years old, uh, this little Southern Baptist church I went to, not looking for God at all. And I heard about John 3:16 from this 21-year-old youth pastor. And he told me that, that God loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die for me, to take my sin upon himself so that I wouldn't perish, but I could have everlasting life. And I remember walking out of that church just feeling light, right? And feeling unburdened and 
I'm now 42 and I've been through a lot. But I still know what it feels like to be unburdened by my sin, to feel forgiven and free. Some of you have never had the, know what it feels like to have your guilt removed, to have your shame covered, to have your burdens lifted. And it is on offer to you right now, right now. If you only knew who was on the other side of that roof, <laughs> if you only knew what he was willing to do for you, you would fly to him. You, you would dig because well, who cares if you got dirty fingernails, if your soul's clean. So I, I just implore you, if you are one of those people who doesn't know what it feels like to be forgiven, come to him today. Let us carry you to him and experience what it feels like to be forgiven of all of your sins, past, present, even future. Because guess what? When Jesus died on the cross, all of your sins were future. <laughs> Every single one of them. <laughs> all right, you with me so far? One more point. We ready? Doesn't matter. I'm doing it anyway. Uh, look at Mark 2, verses 10 to 12. I want to show you how they now rejoice in the king. They're rejoicing in the king. Verse 10 so Jesus has been asked, right? Or he, heard, he heard their thoughts. He perceived their thoughts and he addressed them. What's easier to do? Tell him to get up or to tell him he's forgiven. But, verse 10, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. That's the only way to read that line, isn't it? We never saw anything like this. Okay. So Jesus says, but so that you will know. I don't want there to be any suspicion. I don't want there to be any questions. Jesus is no longer hiding in the shadows. He's out in front of everybody. So that you will know that the son of man has, has the authority to forgive sins. Son of man is, is not just a term that refers to Jesus as humanity, okay? Some people think son of God, son of man, like he's d divine and human. And that's true that he is, but he uses this title, which is actually uh, comes from the book of Daniel. It's a, it's a prophetic term. It's a, it's a term about this heavenly being, the son of man in Daniel chapter seven. Daniel has this prophetic vision of the, of, of the Messiah, essentially, and, and the son of man is a heavenly being who is appointed by the ancient of days to be the judge of the earth. The son of man descends from heaven and then ascends back to heaven. The son of man comes proclaiming the kingdom. The son of man calls for repentance and the son of man demonstrates supernatural power on the earth. And the son of man from the ancient of days receives the kingdom of God forever. Jesus uses the son of man as his favorite self-reference. 83 times in the New Testament, the son of man is used. And most of that time, Jesus is speaking of himself. So he says, so that you will know that I am the one. I am the promised king. I have the power to both heal and to forgive. And I picked, this is just my speculation, but I, I picture the scene, Jesus sitting, teaching, religious people probably near the front, don't mean anything by that, <laughs> crowded room, 
paralytic, four dudes staring in. And I imagine Jesus staring down the religious people so that you will know that I have the power, I say to this man. And he's just looking at them the whole time. Get up, get up, right? Staring them down. I want there to be no question in your mind who I say I am. And imagine you're there and you're seeing this man who everybody knows has never walked. Just get up. And I don't think he just got up and started like sauntering home. I think he got up and danced and leapt for joy. And that's a fulfillment, right, of Isaiah 35, that when the Messiah comes, he will bring healing to the lame and they will dance with joy. And the people say, we never saw anything like this. They are amazed at the man's healing for sure. But they are also amazed, more amazed at the manifestation of the Christ. That the demonstration that he is who he says he is. He can forgive sins and he proves it by the fact that he can actually heal as well. And that's, and that's what we sing about, right? Christ came inaugurating the kingdom so that blessings will flow as far as the curse is found. Now, as we wrap up, here's, here's what I find interesting about this story. The, the healing of the paralytic is at the center of the story but the story's not really about him, is it? We know nothing of this man's faith. We, we, we don't even know his name. Jesus demonstrates his power for this man because of their faith. And that's amazing. And you know what? There are many of us in this room who are living examples of that kind of, I'll call it collaborative faith. That you had grandparents um, and parents and siblings and friends who prayed for your soul for weeks, months, years, decades. Some of you are still praying for those in your family and who are close to you who are not yet followers of Jesus. And you are pleading with the Lord daily and you have invited others into that with you, right? P pray with me, pray with me that this person will come to know Jesus. And you have been, you were, as it were, lowered down on the ropes of their prayers into the powerful presence of Jesus and you met him there and you found forgiveness and you found healing for the deepest brokenness of your soul and you have never been the same since. And neither have I. So, who in our lives is so far gone, is so dead in their sins and their trespasses that several of us together can't by earnest, faith-filled prayer, lower them down, as it were, into the mighty healing presence of Jesus. So we can do that in a few ways, and I'll, I'll give you the option to do this. If you, again, perhaps today, you are the one who needs to be lowered down by the prayers of others, and you can grab a hold of some people and just say, pray for me. Maybe you've got someone on your soul that you want to pray for as we think about Christmas and holiday season and getting together with family and friends, like there is someone on your heart right now that you know is far from Jesus and let's gather up some people and pray for them. If you would rather fill it out on a connect card, on the, on the backside of that connect card is for prayer and just say, please pray for this person. And we will commit as a team to praying with you for that person. And you can just drop it in that giving box in the back. But th this is, 
some of you know that. Like, you are the example. You are the result of that sort of collaborative group faith who prayed and, and, and you came to faith. And so let's do that for others. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. That's our King, amen? Our healing King. So I don't have any questions for you this morning, uh, but you can take this time to be praying, praying for that person, um, asking others to pray for you. This is a time just to minister to one another and for one another. Um, I'm gonna pray for you, but uh, let me explain communion first. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to the communion tables where we are remembering uh, the body of Jesus broken for us to make us whole. We're remembering the blood of Jesus shed for us to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. And we also come remembering and looking forward to the day that we will be with him forever. And we will feast in his eternal kingdom. And so if you're a Christian, you're welcome to these tables. Um, I think because of the size of the crowd in the room, here's what we're gonna do. Um, you, no pressure to do this, but we're gonna start with the very back rows, okay? For those of you who, are, who will be ready to come up, we'll start with the back rows. And then the next row in front will go after them, the next row in front, okay? So that it's not a free-for-all. Uh, that should ensure some good traffic flow. So you guys, all, all sections, okay? Back rows first to the tables, and then we'll, last will be first. And so um, if you're not a Christian, you can stay seated during this time. Um, but we want to remember and we want to celebrate our good and gracious King. Uh, as you make your way back to your seats, there's black boxes where you can drop your uh, prayer request in there. You can drop your uh, giving in there if you want to. Uh, if you don't give online. And then uh, we're gonna sing. We're gonna celebrate our king together. So let me pray. And then we'll just have a moment of silence. When I get up, I know I'm on the front row, but when I get up, that'll be the signal. The tables are open. And then you can start from the back and make your way forward to the community tables. Father, I thank you for these men and women. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in this room together. And I pray that you would do what only you can do now, even in our time of response, that there would be people who ask for prayer, that there'd be people who offer prayer, that you would give us the courage to do so. I pray that today's the day of salvation for someone who realizes that they have never experienced what it is to be forgiven of their sins, that they would cry out to you, they would ask you to forgive them, to heal them, to save them. It can be just that simple. Jesus, save me. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I don't understand all of this, but I know that I need you and I turn to you now. And Lord, you promise that where we repent and believe, you will save. And so help us to cross that threshold of faith this morning. Lord, as we pray for those who are far from you, um, just encourage us in our prayers. And as we sing and celebrate communion, giving, as we rejoice in these Christmas hymns, would you fill us with joy in your presence? We love you. We thank you for this time together. And we ask your blessing over this time of response in the name of Jesus and pray we do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.